The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hello, and welcome everybody. Um, my name is Jean Fagerstrom. I'm the program host, and I have the pleasure of introducing Kaya Svein. Is that how it's pronounced? Well, I taught third grade, and I learned to answer to any pronunciation. Svein is more Svein. Kaya Svein. It's a hard spelling. Yeah. Um, Kaya has been a shining light in the Twin Cities for many, many years. She was one of the first people here ever to get trained to teach mindfulness-based stress reduction, John Kabat-Zinn's program, and she did that uh, for many years. And more recently, she's committed herself to working in the area of climate change, um, uh, education process around that, changing hearts and changing the ways we live, um, just helping us all to wake up. And she's particularly done this through uh, studying the work of Joanna Macy. And I believe you'll be talking some about that tonight. So um, looking forward to what, what we have in store this uh-huh. evening. Thank you so much, Kaya. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm honored to be here with you tonight. um, This is one of my kind of favorite things to talk about, the topic we've got tonight, which is living into the gifts of uncertain times. Um, It's very rich, and I I hope to present it in a way that's um, useful and kind of stimulating to you. So we will be um, starting with a sit, and with this sit... um, I am, first of all, honored to be sitting with you, which to me means we all descend a little bit into what we're experiencing about the state of interbeing. And so we're all kind of there together in this um, invisible place. And it always seems very precious to me. As we do this sit, I'm taking some of the themes that will come out in this talk. And um, every once in a while, I'll just put a theme into your sit, and then I invite you just to receive it and just notice what thoughts, what feelings, you know, what body sensations arise, and then a bit later there'll be another theme. So that's how the, how the sit will go. Um, so um, just get comfortable. I know you're all pretty uh, seasoned at this, so... To start us off, I'll just say a little bit about how we move into the sit and then give you some silence and then these phrases will come in. Inviting your awareness to descend easily into the body. An easy entry is through the breath. That is such a portal for us because it's a shift from the act of doing and responding to all the stimuli around us. It's a shift to just giving ourselves to a process that is already in place, something that doesn't need us to change it or 
fix it, make it perfect. So we come to the breath and then invite ourselves to deepen into the body wisdom.
and noticing which events, thoughts, feelings, body sensations come to your attention as you sit with living in these uncertain times. Living in these uncertain times. If the attention has wandered, returning to living in these uncertain times.
emerging gifts evoked by uncertain times. Emerging gifts evoked by uncertain times.
emerging gifts evoked by uncertain times. Here are words traveling to us from the 6th century, Japan, spoken by the sage Jisho. Since this is the reality that spawned me, since this is the web of life I am contained in, then... I embrace it. Since this is the reality that spawned me, since this is the web of life I am contained in, then I embrace it.
since this is the reality that spawned me, since this is the web of life I am contained in, then I embrace it. With that time to sit with the kind of the key phrases of um, the contemplation, living into the gifts of uncertain times, you've probably each given yourself the talk for tonight, but now you can hear my version of it. So, well, I want to thank you for coming to this topic. You can see it's not a, exactly a trendy one yet. And still, it, um, I think it does take some courage to to look into these uncertain times instead of um, letting ourselves be pushed by that uncertainty to just stay busy or get even more distracted. I want to also give thanks to your practice and mine that really enables us to have greater comfort with impermanence, with uncertainty, and in doing so to be able to recognize uncertain times and then be curious enough to look towards them rather than away from them. And it's wonderful also that our practice gives us a sense of presence that's kind of strong enough, deep enough, that as gifts rise up to meet us in these uh, unpredictable times, we have some awareness of, of that happening we're able to hold both what is collapsing now and what is emerging. So um, I know for myself, much of my ability to do this is really um, 
a gift from my meditation practice. I feel so grateful for how that's been able to help me over the years. Um, I'm going to read a poem now that um, comes to us from um, 1210 from Andalusia, uh, written by someone named Adi Alriga. And um, I hope that the message in it fits for you. I, I know it was very comforting for me when I found it many years ago. So I'll read it twice. It's a short one, but if I read it a, twice, the first time you'll get in the ballpark and the second time you'll be able to hear it probably more fully. And just see, uh, just notice, you know, does this tell part of your story about being willing to wake up in uncertain times? I was sleeping and being comforted by a cool breeze when suddenly a gray dove from a thicket sang and sobbed with longing and reminded me of my own passion. I had been away from my own soul so long, so late sleeping, but that dove's crying woke me and made me cry. Praise to all early wakening grievers. I was sleeping and being comforted by a cool breeze when suddenly a gray dove from a thicket sang and sobbed with longing and reminded me of my own passion. I had been away from my own soul so long, so late sleeping, but that dove's crying woke me and made me cry. Praise to all early wakening grievers. So when I put this poem in, you know, part of me said, no, you're putting it in kind of early. It might be too mysterious. It might not make sense to people. But I decided to put it in in this place anyway because I do feel that these uncertain times have the potential of awakening us to a much deeper engagement with life, to our own souls, to what we know about beauty and love and possibilities that we've kind of put aside to keep up with the pace of the 21st century. So um, hopefully by the end of our time together, that poem will um, fit you a little better than it does now, or maybe it already fits you well. So I'm just going to say a little bit more about how I got into this work. Um, ever since I was a little girl, I just knew we were heading for these kind of times. I could kind of see it everywhere. And I couldn't understand why none of the grown-ups around me, who I knew were doing their best to protect me, ever addressed any of this. And if I would ask questions... Um, point out things that uh, didn't seem fair or just or in harmony uh, to me. I was, you know, usually um, 
um, given something to distract me, to change my, my attention. And so I um, you know, spent part of my life um, feeling depressed. Well, I knew I shouldn't talk anymore about the things I was seeing. So I felt kind of depressed, but I also knew that I had so much love in me, and I, I knew I had an ability to cherish beings I hadn't met and I guess that many of us did. That was probably possible for all of us. So um, I started searching pretty early on then for um, some guides. And that's when I came across Joanna Macy, who some of you have probably heard of. She's, I think, 84, 86 now. And um, just say a little bit about her. She's been a longtime Buddhist and had the chance to live in many different um, cultures in the world. And she first kind of came into the work that she's been doing for, boy, 60 or so years now, after the Second World War, when the bomb had been dropped. And so for the first time, humans realized that we had developed and used the potential to wipe out all of life. And Joanna noticed that instead of people discussing that and trying to figure out what to do about it, that became kind of a taboo subject. And it just wasn't talked about. People didn't really share stories very much about what happened when they first heard about it or what was going on. Few people did, but for the most part, it wasn't really talked about very much. So she got quite interested in what happens then when something is so enormous that the fear that it incites or the sorrow or the rage uh, feels much bigger than I as a little separate being can handle. And so the tendency then for most of us is to kind of cocoon ourselves and pretend that nothing is changing. So she's worked a lot with that, with helping people um, come into interbeing and recognize that, you know, when, when enough of us look at this, it's not, not overwhelming in the same way as when I do it by myself. And that when we help each other know and remember our capacity for cherishing each other, for wishing for the welfare, well-being of um, other humans, other species. As we cultivate that, um, we can come to a place where we let ourselves be inspired by our sense of love and interbeing, and that gives us a way forward. So tonight is a a part of um, some of the fruit that comes from people like Joanna Macy and, and other sages who are really studying, um, you know, what is this narrow passage that we're going through now and, and what are some of the ways we can help each other and ourselves through it. Um, so I'm glad to be giving this talk right as the seeds are sprouting and things are greening because a lot of what we'll be looking at is, you know, how do we make use of these very hard, scary times to find gifts coming forward in us that were of no use uh, making it in the dominant culture, but are very, very potent and wonderful and needed now. So to do this, I, I'll be you know, presenting some ideas for a while, and then I'll intersperse that with time for you to reflect and then um, just chat with, with a partner, um, I'll give you something special to talk about. So you have a few minutes with a partner. Uh, so we'll do that kind of a format. 
So in this talk, I'm drawing from various sages. Just mention a few. Joanna Macy is one of them. Thich Nhat Hanh is another one. Um, Tanisara is another guide. Engaged Buddhism, which is being you know practiced all over. Uh, the One Earth Sangha, which is an online um, sangha now that's centered in Washington D.C. That's really um, dedicating itself to um, helping us really see how Buddhism supports us, how deeply it supports us as we uh, face into climate change and and um, other uh, other of the crises that are happening around us now. So the Dharma that we're exploring tonight. Um, that I'm sure you're familiar with, but just I love to say these words. The Dharma is that the living earth is our larger body. So we're looking at it that way. And that things like climate change, racism, um, inequitable distribution of income, all of that we can see as manifestations of our separateness. When we forget about or don't know about interbeing and we believe that you know, I'm just, all I am is right here in this little body and i got to look out for number one because no one else is, then these other things are manifested. So that Buddhism, as it helps us to find our interbeing, gives us ways to address um, some of these things that, that um, grieve us so because they keep us from the harmony, from knowing the beauty in each other that is there for us. So these wise ones who I've just mentioned um, lay out things for us to do, and I'm just going to um, guide us through a few of them right now. So the first one is to accept these times. As you know, these times, they are changing. Um, and so in your um, sit, you had an opportunity uh, when you heard the phrase living in uncertain times to be reminded of uh, what comes up in us uh, when we uh, turn to to looking at uh, changing times. So these um, guides are asking us to do that much more often, to take in the news, um, the things that worry us, as real signs that things are changing, the impermanence, and that we're moving through a time where things are changing much more rapidly than at some other times. And that, of course, can frighten us. So um, we notice our resistance to those changes, what frightens us, angers us, makes us sad. We notice the places where we're opened and intrigued by the changes. And then we invite ourselves as often as we can to settle into accepting that things are changing. Of course, that doesn't mean it's okay or that we're, we're fine with the changes, but it means that we understand we're making room for the fact that things are changing. That's, I think, a really difficult thing to do, and it's huge. It's the portal, as far as I can tell myself and from the studying I do. It's the portal that allows us to come through the frightening emotions which will, of course, always be with us, but through that, enough to stand in interbeing and, and love. But we have to accept that things are changing deeply in order to do that. 
Another thing that they ask us to do is to recognize, and I, I know you're all familiar with this, but I'm just putting these out as sort of our framework for tonight. Recognize that you know, many of the skills that we have developed in our lives so far have been inscribed by or demanded by the dominant culture. And, you know, indeed, many of these are useful analytical thinking, being able to speak in front of a group, um, being able to design and then plan, you know, bring, operationalize a plan, um, being active citizens, um, keeping accounts. A lot of things like that are, you know, certainly useful. And yet there have been a lot of beliefs that we have been inculcated with that um, are problematic for us in, in general and, and now especially in these uncertain times. So I'm just going to mention a few and that will get you kind of rolling with what, of course, you're familiar with. So one, for example, is that um, to be a good patriot, one must always be optimistic sure that things are getting bigger and better. Another is that to be successful in the dominant culture, you must be obedient. You must be a good achiever. You must be a good computer, you know, able to kind of step on someone else who's in the way at times and really stand up for yourself so that you get promoted. And, you know, we all kind of tend to do that to some extent because we're also taught that, I've got to look out for myself because no one else is. And so that means I've, I need to be able to shimmy way, my way to the top of things. Um, we're taught to be good at kind of holding a uh, comparing mind. Am I better than or worse than that person over there? So it goes on and on, <clears throat> of course. But these are some of the structured skills and attitudes with values that we each have developed to some extent in order to be successful in the marketplace and in our networks and uh, things like that. So I'm just going to give you a moment to reflect on what comes up for you, what you've developed to succeed in the dominant culture. As times change and as we change, different gifts, different skills are needed. We need very different mind and heart sets. We need them and they are available because there are so many of us now who are really looking at this passage we're going through and and helping us all figure out how to do it. So there are gifts inside of each of us that are really waiting to be recognized and lived into. These aren't gifts that will usually satisfy ego gratification or make us feel safer in the kind of measured dominant culture. And yet these gifts, they're waiting, they're pulsing in us, and the conditions are at last right for their emergence. The seeds are just sprouting in each of us. These gifts come forward. We're able to notice them largely because of the crises happening around us. 
So in some ways, we can actually be sort of grateful for these crises. Because without them, we might be shopping happily all day, you know, comfortably consuming, believing that bigger is better, living a flattened, canned life, and then, then dying. With things changing, with so much collapsing, with the old ways not working so well, we're really called to look deeply inside and say, you know, who else are we? How do we rise to what's being called for, what is being called for? Um, so that's a, a real quest um, for us today. Joanna Macy has focused on five such gifts, certainly not a final list. And I offer them to you tonight uh, just as a way to kind of whet your appetite to um, give you a, a way to begin to sense, you know, what is emerging in you. Um, so, again, this list is just to, it's not the only five by any means. It's just uh, some ideas to get us going. So on this list, because of your practice in Buddhism and because Joanna comes from this same tradition, you will recognize some of these gifts and what I will do is offer a you know, slightly different vector with which to perceive them that I imagine will just kind of expand how you understand these gifts and how you can use them. So what I will do is um, talk to you a little bit about a gift, and then there will be an opportunity for you to reflect on it silently, and then we'll, um, you know, this is when we'll start having opportunities to talk in twos or in a large group, things like that. So as you hear these gifts, I invite you to kind of assess the relationship you have with them already. And then like a gentle yoga stretch, just kind of reach into this gift a little more fully. So you don't want to end up with a sore rib or something like that. But you do want to stretch and be kind of curious about how you're invited to stretch. The first gift that Joanna mentions, and by the way, um, Gabe is going to put something up on the uh, blog for, for us because Joanna Macy has a got about a 17-minute um, uh, video on this that I'll, I have a link for. So you, you'll probably want to watch her talk about this because it's just so rich to, to hear her version of this. But in the meantime, you'll hear, hear mine. So first gift, the present moment is the most fruitful place to be. And you are certainly familiar with this kind of thinking. Buddhists have been experiencing it for the last 2,500 years, and now neuroscience from the West is coming to um, aid aid this understanding. What I'm going to offer you tonight is kind of a another way to really appreciate how fruitful the present moment is, um, is to think about how it is that when we have uncertainty, when we're living in the midst of uncertainty and we haven't examined it, we're rushing too fast or we're kind of afraid to look at it, 
what ends up happening is that we tend, many of us, to bounce kind of like ping-pong balls back and forth between hope and fear. Between hope and fear. And this bouncing orients us to look at the future in a desperate kind of ungrounded way. And because we're frightened and things are happening so fast, we tend to draw on strategies from the past that um, really come from what we learned about separation as we grew up in this dominant culture. So I'm going to repeat that because I think it's um, got so much in it. So when we're surrounded by uncertainty and we're not taking the time to examine it as we sit, most of us then bounce back and forth between hope and fear, faster and faster. What this does then is it kind of orients us to the future in a desperate, ungrounded way. And because we feel desperate and ungrounded, we reach into the past for the strategies we've been taught. But most of those strategies come from what we learned in the separation culture we grew up in. So they're not going to be able to help us move forward in the way that we really have an incredible invitation to to do now. And it's exhausting. So the fruitfulness of the present moment then in this regard is that all the senses we have, they help us to come here and they feed us with what is here now. And this is where some of that hard, deep-level acceptance comes in. And we become then more available to acceptance because we can see what's going on with fewer delusions like, oh, I wish things were different. Or I've got to be loyal to like always taking the bright side of things, always being cheerful. Instead, when we're in the present moment in uncertain times, there's a kind of immediacy of the moment that is much more potent for us than a kind of canned concept of optimism. When we're in the moment, looking as clearly as we can, breathing, then we can gather insights that really clarify our understanding, um, clarify our emotions, make the options that are fruitful, that are harmonious, more available, and then the actions that come out, out from them. And of course, the present moment, as you know, also opens us to centering and grounding. So just take a moment now. I'll, I'll interrupt you again in about a minute or so and just reflect on um, what you've just heard about the present moment and what's a stretch you might make now from what you've heard. If you if that appeals to you. Now please see if there's anything you'd like to share with all of us, anything that these two gifts we've talked about so far um, brings to your mind or a question or a comment or something like that. What's coming up for you? And I think we're small enough you can just popcorn. Oh, you've, you've got the mic. Okay, great. 
Who would like the mic? Sure. Yeah, the present moment is the most fruitful place to be. And then the second one, um, selecting actions from a place of caring and compassion. So um, I've always felt that many times we as individuals or even as societies, we uh, operate from a position of fear. And then we take actions based on fear. And we're going to do this to wipe this out, and we're going to do that to kind of uh, get even. And, um, and that often is the worst way to think or decide what to do. To um, Either you're running away from something or you're trying to go back and um, put up a brave face and do something uh, which is rash. Uh, so and what you're saying is uh, trying to do an action from a place of compassion or at least not from a place of fear seems to make a lot of sense. Um, the last gift you said really struck a chord, um, the acting in compassion, uh, from a place of compassion, uh, and it definitely interrelated, related for me that the present moment is a fruitful, um, wonderful place because just, there's so many feelings inside my body and just like of tension and different anxieties and just having compassion, just that those are in my sphere of existence and not even knowing like why they're there necessarily or just feeling them and not knowing why but uh it, giving them that compassion i felt like they're able to reveal their true identity in a sense and almost uh help my energy kind of settle more in my body and then i kind of like oh that's why i gave myself that that attention is like so they could they just do that i don't know um so and then it reminded me of that poem of you know i'm gonna embrace what was it it was like because I am here and this is my reality, I will embrace it. Then I will embrace it, yeah. Yeah, so that was mm. nice. Okay, well, thank you both. Anyone else? Um, for me, it's, um, it's hard to think of anything that I can really do if we're talking about <clears throat> the environment. I mean, yes, um, I'm recycling and things like that that I think a lot of people are doing now, but it seems kind of like a, a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. And um, and and then you hear hear on the news different, uh, you know, different people trying to do different things. Like there was a, a story about how do we save the black rhino or the <clears throat> large animals in Africa, and some people say you have to have them in sanctuaries and don't kill any of them. And other people say it's great if you have these hunts where people can pay $250,000 to kill one animal and then all the money can be used to help preserve the species. And, you know, it isn't, that sounds like an argument that's going on and on. And it's like, well, that's kind of interesting, but I'm not really related to that either. Mm. <clears throat> and it seems the one thing that does happen is 
simply knowing that we live in a very fragile world right now, um, appreciating every little thing, the, just the beauty of nature and the world around us. I mean, I think opening our eyes to that is being in the present moment instead of mm-hmm. scurrying along with our eyes down on the ground thinking about what we have to accomplish that day. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not. it doesn't feel like, mm-hmm. oh, I really know how to take action, but maybe, you know, just kind of know how to open up to um, the poignancy of the situation. Um, one of the things that stretch for the compassion part was to begin to sort of live my compassion more out in the community. That um, first of all, I came from Southern Ohio, which is a lot more overtly um, people just touch you and talk to you, and you know the checkout line is really a place to visit, not pay so much. So um, so up here I've been a little more constrained, which doesn't feel like natural for me. And, and, I, and I've noticed that um, at times if I feel like being compassionate to someone, whether it's a mother struggling with a crying baby or someone struggling to carry groceries, um, it's always so well received. You know, there's never a you know, it's, and so um, I think that will be my stretch to sort of be more, um, to just let that come out um, and touch the world however it does, the community around me. Wonderful. Yeah. Any Anything else that wants to be said? Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about with the, uh, also moving from an act of compassion, uh, I've noticed that we uh, segregate ourselves by generations, right? There isn't a lot of intergenerational. Yes, you have children, and maybe you you a- interact with them, but that's about as far as you can you get. And our generation, you know, the the ones with the gray hair are dying, and we don't seem to be addressing that. And I think that's one of the things I other people I've been talking with were starting to look at addressing that because if you can address uh, supporting people in the in the process of dying right then you can turn that around and figure out how to live right if you know how the sentence ends then maybe you can figure out how to begin it and you were saying as you were saying and and then work out on how to uh, make the world for future generations as opposed to just consuming it in. I'm dead and I don't care. You know, that's one of the issues you always hear. I don't care. Oh, you know, in in 50 years, uh, New York will be gone. That's fine. I'll be dead by then. You know, so to change that attitude. So Yeah. Oh, great. Ooh, lots of rich ideas. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So is that everyone who would like to speak now? Maybe just a couple of comments. I'll make um, response to what some of you said. Um, I think part of Joanna Macy and, and the other folks I'm relating to here are definitely looking at emotions like like anger and fear and sorrow and 
um, very aware that so much of what is put forward as a policy or a statement or some thinking is really got at its base fear, and but we're not we don't seem to we're not really taught to recognize that in a culture and respond to it very well, and that that's a great need we have now to to be able to hear the emotion behind um, what's being said. And Thich Nhat Hanh is someone who really recommends, you know, he suggests that for each of us, there's probably one of the heavy emotions that's more prominent, the rage or the sorrow or the fear. I know for me it's sorrow. Um, So his advice then is that you become an expert on whichever emotion runs most frequently for you. So you watch it in yourself. You see where it takes you. You see what it prevents you from doing, what it pushes you to do so that you know it well. And then as you listen to politicians or whoever is, is speaking around you, you try to listen and recognize, okay, who, now that I know so much for me about sorrow, who can I tell is really coming from sorrow at their base? And then what you trust is that when you're in conversation with people, because of what you've let yourself learn about the rage or the fear, when you meet someone else who's coming from that place, you will know how to correspond, how to, how to connect with them in a very different way, no matter what they're talking about, because you'll be able to come in on this emotional place, which is really um, you know, a lot more of what's going on for us often than it's what's beneath the statement we're making. So um, he does a lot with that, and that's always... Um, intrigued me, and I, and I've, I feel like it's helped me a lot in, in, in conversations. And uh, another thing, picking up on the emotions, one of the um, statements that, that Joanna Macy makes strongly is that in this culture, um, dominant culture, because of our attitude towards emotions, when someone has anxiety or depression or something in them, we tend to privatize that. That's your problem. You should see a therapist, and of course sometimes it's very helpful to see a therapist, but she's also saying this is earth crying through you. This is the culture crying through you. The anxiety is what you're picking up because there is so much inequality. There is so much fear around us so that we can see ourselves as you know, vessels through which the earth communicates, society communicates. So it's a... Um, way of not having to privatize and then make it all my problem when I've got a worry. And um, it's a very interesting kind of shift to bring into um, how we respond to the feelings that come up in us. So thanks for all your contributions. Wow. The um, third gift that we'll look at tonight is called Befriending Pain and the Mystery It Brings. And as you know, when most of us, when we feel anger, sorrow, fear about the world or about the society, we tend to turn away and distract ourselves because the pain about the losses that we're aware of just feels too unbearable. And it is unbearable if we face it alone in the delusion of the separate small self. Uh, But as we come to trust awakening and learn to face into pain with others, 
we then um, find the profound love underneath. And this notion is, you know, a workshop in itself. And there, there are wonderful pieces that have been developed to, you know, spend an afternoon or a weekend just looking at the befriending of pain. I'm just going to say a little bit more about it now. Um, I know for for myself that um, I am one of those people who, you know, often awakes at three in the morning, and I think about the little child I just saw in the park today, and I just think, what is his life going to be like in 40 years, you know, as things heat up? Those kinds of of questions. And when I'm doing that by myself, you know, it is um, pretty unbearable on the one hand, and yet, thanks to the practice, I've really helped myself to stay there feeling what I feel. And as I do that, it's taken a while, but as I do that, each time, if I can ride through that strong emotion, it separates and I am just in front of a tremendous love I have for the life that will go on after I go for, again, all these beings I'll never meet. And that love is because of us being all interconnected. And so I now... um, am, um, you know, very willing to sit with these emotions to befriend the pain. And one of the things that um, we do in this kind of work is to help ourselves hear in the pain the love that's beneath it. Because pain and love come from the same source, and the source is that we're all in this together. And so after a while when someone rages or grieves or is shaking in fear as they talk about that you can hear the love that's endangered that they're referencing and as we do that again we're brought together we're brought into this place of interbeing much more powerfully when times are easy we don't have to pay attention to it now we really kind of do and it's wondrous you know, it's scary, and I don't know. We don't have any guarantees about what life is going to be in the future. But there's a wondrous capacity we have to come down together with the reality of what's happening and, and really be here. So um, I'm just going to tell you a, a story of, um, you know, something that makes me very sad. And I want just um, just to ask for someone to see if you can put words in around what I'm what I also love and in, you know this will be a little bit rote because I'm telling you that that's what I'd like you to do ahead of time but still I think it's kind of a, a useful example because we can do it sort of anywhere so this is something I, I um, heard not too long ago on a radio show and this was talking about the Arctic and how fast the Arctic is heating up and so one example they used was baby seals. And the baby seals are born, I think, about this time of year. And generally, that's meant that snow is falling. And they have this very heavy fur. And so the snow just goes right off their fur. Well, now, because of the heating, it's rain, cold rain that's falling. And of course, the rain goes right in through the fur. And then it gets kind of held by the fur. So then their little necks and bodies 
are caught in this cold rain, and so many of them, many of them are dying. Um, so, again, this is kind of elementary, but why don't you just see what, what's the love? What I, I told you about my pain. What am I loving in this? Yeah, yeah, and that's when I went through my grief, just imagining these seals. Ah, that's where I ended up, just going. Ah, you know the ecosystems, the the incredible ecosystems that we've all been living with, where when when things are in balance, everything can work so smoothly. And so I I was left with the wonder of those systems, and then that makes me, you know, want to be of use to keep that going um, in some way. So I'm, I'm also often driven by my rage and my fear, but I'm driven more and more by love and by the, what, we, what we have in front of us to really understand about the mystery of this life. And that's the other thing as we befriend the pain, we come into awareness of the mystery of this life, you know, this little planet circling around the sun, and here we are um, with, what, 12 different kinds of chocolate chips, you know. I mean, just the mystery of life. Yeah. So, yeah, well, yeah. Okay. So this is an opportunity to, um, just going to give you some a moment of silence in this, and then... Um, just give you some time to speak to um, another person because I think maybe that's easier than in a large group when you're talking about pain and love and, and maybe just how, how you befriend pain or what keeps you from befriend, befriending it. A hard thing to do too. So I'll give you a moment on your own and then um, some time to talk to the, your partner. So moving towards silence. Always feel so rude interrupting. Keep an eye on that. Yeah. So the uh, fourth and fifth gifts um, that are mentioned here are uh, are offered partly to replace what we're asked to give up uh, with understanding the present moment as, as the most fruitful place to be, which is when we were asked to give up bouncing between hope and fear. So if we don't have hope, we're, um, then we won't have fear as much. But that, then that means being in the present moment, being with what actually is, and then learning to expand our sense of self in various ways so that uh, that helps us move into interbeing. And that gives us a basis for solidarity that's different than hope but gives us a lot of strength. So um, this next gift then talks about forging greater solidarity with all life forms. And as you know, again, our training in the dominant culture, we've tended to think of other species as in a utilitarian way. You know, they're either something we can domesticate and use or they're pests we have to get rid of and control. So that's been our major relationship. And then when we have pets, that's, that's different. They can sort of break through that and... People, of course, have marvelous relationships with pets that I think often give us an idea of what, what is possible with other species. 
So uh, just the intention to forge greater solidarity with all life forms. So as a way to do that, I'm, I've got something kind of playful for you, um, but it, it's a, a way that allows us to kind of open in awe and wonder to all the life forms, especially those that have come before us, that have influenced the bodies that we've got to move around in as humans. So for this, you'll need a partner, and um, hopefully you'll feel comfortable enough to be able to take the pulse of the other of your partner when I tell you to do that, and then give something like a mini shoulder rub. Does that sound okay? Can you kind of look at each other and get permission for that? Okay. So one of you is going to be a heron, and one of you is going to be a tortoise in your partnership. So just decide between the two of you. Who wants to be the heron and who wants to be the tortoise? Okay. Well, that's a lot of conversation. Heron. Heron. Heron, sorry. Heron, yeah. Heron. Okay. All right. So just take a moment, whatever species you are, to just kind of embody yourself with the essence of that species. And your name is just so that I can tell you who's, who's doing the action and who's, who's receiving the action. So, Herons, you're going to be the one doing the action with this first little experiment we do. So this is wonderment about our bloodstream. So Heron, take your partner's hand in yours, and with your right hand, sense the pulse in, in one of their wrists. So move around until you find the pulse. And as you have the pulse, let yourself really move with the circulation of the blood through all the streams in the body. So you're letting your mind, your awareness kind of travel with that circulation. So this capacity of circulation that's common to um, all life forms in some form or another arose with the first multi-celled creatures who devised ways to transfer nutrients to their inside cells. Okay, how do we get the nutrients to our inside cells? So as they developed... Um, some of them invented a muscular pump, the heart. And this pulsing that you feel now is the gift of great-grandmother worm. Great-grandmother worm. Okay. And then when you're ready, you can, when you've honored that, you can release your partner's hand. All right, now the tortoise, you're up next. And we're going to look a little bit at the top of the spinal column. So, Heron, you're going to have to turn around so that the tortoise can uh, put a finger on the the very um, top shoulder muscles. And so, tortoise, please do that. Please put your hands on your partner's shoulders. And just take a moment to feel the strength in these shoulders. And then move one hand gently to the back of the neck. And feel the bones in the neck. 
letting each of uh, your fingers kind of probe the shape of each vertebra in the neck and the upper back. As you do this, notice how each bone is separate, yet they're all ingeniously linked down the length of the spine. So these vertebrae, they cover the central neural cord, and at the same time, they allow for great flexibility of movement. And you can imagine the spine of your partner you know, being able to bend so that that person can touch their toes, or hula hoop, or shimmy, break dance, all the things this spine makes possible. Yeah. And it's Grandfather Fish who did this design work because he couldn't swim if his backbone was one solid piece. So we can thank Grandfather Fish, Grandmother Fish, for the marvel that now permits us to stand and walk. And then as you're ready, tortoise, you can just kind of give a little goodbye with your hands to your partner's shoulders. And then face each other again. And this time, you're both going to do something. This, this is going to focus on the ear. So take, take hands, if that feels okay, and lean close enough and take turns humming in your partner's ear. So that you, just humming so that you get to hear each other. Okay. And you can hear each other. And that's because the tiny bones vibrate in the inner ear. And they are a gift from our ancestor fish as well. They were once the jaw bones of ancestor fish. And then they migrated into the mammalian ear so that we can carry sound. We can receive sound. Uh, This is fish again. Yeah, it's the jaw the jaw bones, and they migrated up so that you can hear. So there's this incredible giving, isn't there, sharing, that's part of us from the very beginning. Okay, so now, um, Heron, you are up. So Heron, you're going to place your hands just gently on the sides of your partner's face. And recognize that inside the base of the skull lives the limbic region of the brain. And this limbic region of the brain is a gift from our reptilian grandmothers and grandfathers. It allows deep pleasure. It also allows us to protect ourselves by fighting or running away. So with your hands on this face, great gratitude to reptilian grandmothers and grandfathers. And now you too, as much as it's comfortable, just take a moment to gaze into each other's eyes, just as long as it's comfortable. And recognize that you can do this 
because they are no longer placed on the sides of the head as they were for our fish and reptile cousins and many mammals too. It was our tree-climbing primate ancestors who moved their eyes around to the front to function together so that they could know the exact location and distance of branches to leap for. So we thank these tree-climbing primate ancestors for this binocular vision that allows us to engage deeply with each other. And now tortoise. So tortoise, taking one of your partner's hands, um, look down at the left hand and see how the hand curls over. Maybe it doesn't matter which hand you're at. Okay, just see how the hand curls over. You can move it a little bit. And as you get the thumb and the first finger to touch, see the size of the space that is enclosed. This is just the right size for a branch strong enough to hold a swinging body of this weight. Grandmother Monkey designed that hand. See how the little finger and thumb can touch. This opposable thumb, only a few species have it. That allows us and a few of our cousins to grasp tools, to create and craft, to build bombs, and to write sonnets. So, and now find some kind of simple silent gesture to thank your partner for this experience, for being silly with you. And then just take a a moment in silence um, yourself to let your mind and heart move back through the evolutionary journey and just um, enjoy thanking these other species and just the gift of the mystery of life that makes this all possible. And the next gift, the next gift that is another way we can stretch our sense of being, not our small self, but our larger self, is an awareness of the immensity of time. And with this, um, you know, realization, we, we are becoming cognizant of the fact that, you know, many of the decisions of our ancestors have really set up situations today that cause us crises and problems. And um, so that's the hard part. And then the kind of underside of that is just how much we are related to those who've come before us and how much of a difference their decisions made for us. And then as we go forward, how much of a difference our decisions can make for future beings. And there's you know, such a precious 
delicacy in that, but also such a joy too, uh, to think, okay, maybe I give up a pleasure I have. Maybe I don't ride the airplane as much as I would really like to. But in doing that, I'm kind of extending a gift to someone I will never meet. And yet I have that capacity to do that. So there's a way that we exist that's, again, very different from what the dominant culture was able to transmit to us with all the focus on our separation. So um, take one of your hands and just gaze into the palm and know that you are seeing the shape, the size of many of the palms of people who came before you. You know, that was what you've got was kind of set in place by um, the inheritance you got, your ancestors. If you look way, way back, you'll see the stardust of the Big Bang, but you don't have to go that far back for now. And then let yourself come to the present, recognize your hand. Maybe you've even had a fortune teller read it for you or whatever. And then go into the future and know that if you have children, or even if you don't have your own children, still you can see in your hand the hand of the future as well. And drop now below words and let your heart just open. So you don't have to have words for this, but let the heart journey back to the connection you have to your ancestors. Come through the present and then journey into the future with connection. And then coming back to our shared space. These then are the five gifts that Joanna brings to us to um, help us start opening our ability to sense gifts coming forward. The um, last time I shared this list uh, with people who'd been meeting because of their concern about the crises and they're wondering how do we go forward and do we dare feel our feelings things like that. Um, one of the people said that a gift she could see coming forward is that because of these hard times, because we maybe look a little bit longer into each, into each other's eyes, because we listen to the pain you feel about what's happening to um, the deserts or the drought, when, because we do that, we are dropping into a greater intimacy with more people. You know, we've kind of compartmentalized intimacy for just our, our children, our, our partner, whatever, our blood family. But these crises are bringing us into greater intimacy with more and more people. They can do that if we let that happen, if we become available to that. So that's just, I uh, bring that up just because that's just another gift that came to someone's awareness because we were talking this kind of way. And that continues to happen. So we're starting to kind of close the evening out and um, we'll take another silent sit where you can um, review some of these gifts and, and plant some seeds in yourself. 
But in sum, I just want to say that the, you know, the above gifts are just the early crop. They're already sprouting, greening. And we've named them tonight as just an invitation to all of us to begin to feel what gifts of uncertain times are stirring in you. And again, it's as we are willing to accept how much we're losing that we have a greater capacity to see these other gifts coming forward. It just seems to be a necessary part. So I encourage you, and I'm, I'm also, I have some cards, I'm very willing to sit with people as you kind of figure out how you're going to face your feelings more. I've, I've made this be kind of what I'm doing with my life now because I believe so much in um, how we can move through these times ahead in a um, much more loving way. I think we've got that great capacity, but it, it does take being able to sit with those feelings. Anyway, so I'm getting off the track, sorry. So, uh, so we want to cultivate this receptivity in ourselves for our gifts. And then, of course, as I get to notice my own gifts, I, it gets easier for me to see the gifts emerging in others. And part of our role now is as we see a gift coming forward in someone else, to mirror that for them. We need that from each other. And these, again, will be gifts that didn't show up in the dominant culture, so we're just going to have to guess at them, sense, sense our way into them, take a risk with them. Um, so we will sit now for oh, probably five or six minutes, and I'm going to um, name each gift and then just give you some time in silence to, you know, at this point kind of notice where you are with it and then ask yourself how you might step into it a little more fully. And then, um, yeah, then we'll have a chance to just share takeaways um, after that. I will probably also repeat that um, uh, message from Japan, you know, across the globe from the 6th century. I, that helps me so much, the one about the web of, web of life I'm contained in. So, okay, if you would like to just um, prepare yourself to enter your deep awareness um, for a few minutes and um, come to your breathing. Each time you exhale, invite your awareness to descend a little bit more into the body into the heart center. As I repeat a gift, then I'll give you some silence. You notice how you have already lived into this and then ask yourself what the next step forward for you might be. The present moment is the most fruitful place to be.
another gift, selecting actions from places of caring and compassion rather than measurable outcomes. Befriending pain and the mystery it brings. Forging greater solidarity with all life forms. Opening to an awareness of the immensity of time. Finding now a fertile garden in your own heart where you can plant these five gifts. Rich soil, 
plenty of sun and rain. And as these gifts grow, know that they will teach you to recognize and enjoy other gifts that are yearning to come forward in you to guide us all through these uncertain times. So as we close, if any of you would like to share with us um, what's resonating with you, what's a thought you might ponder some more or something you're taking away with you. You know, this is a conversation we don't get to have very often, so we help each other so much just by sharing what's, um, what's come up for us. So if you feel like saying something, that'd be great. Um, in thinking about all life forms, um, I hope to be able to include all the people that um, see things differently from the way I see them and who I would like to (laughs) change their thinking and, you know, moving away from that viewpoint to um, taking time to understand and appreciate and maybe even learn from them, even though I don't want to. (laughs) 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 So being more open-minded to my Uh fellow human beings. If I really sink into that feeling of interdependence and interbeing, um, I feel this really deep sense of responsibility for Mm. everything I do. (laughs) Mm. And um, it can be kind of daunting. Um. And so I think, and, and, you know, it's a different way of looking at it other than, you know, trying to figure out how politics and economics and all that works, you know, Mm -hmm. either to promote a beautiful world or to destroy it. So this is a different way of getting at, um... Um, the possibility of doing something, mm-hmm. but doing something from a place of um, self-compassion and awareness. Yeah, definitely self-compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for. I was at the one that you did at the Unity Church a month ago. Oh, right, yeah. And then my friend Nancy and I were going to, for Earth Day, we're doing an adult forum at our church Ah, on Joanne Macy's Five Gifts. Oh, great. Oh, wonderful. And I was just thinking about it, trying to plan it and all this stuff, and then I realized the irony irony of it is is that adult forums are never long enough. Mm. And the fifth gift is... Think about the immensity of time. Well, 
<laughs> That's all the time we have today. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so funny. sometimes irony too, right? Yeah. Yes, irony definitely. Thank yeah. You. Kind of piggybacking a little bit off of what I can't remember your name. What you said, um, you know, getting to know people on the total other spectrum of socio, like politics and economical, everything. Um, you know, I saw this video of online of uh, some NRA supporters or something like that, and their biggest concern for uh, what seemed to be like a aggressive rights to to arms was uh, safety. You know, and I felt like they were they were, they were afraid. You know, and I feel like so many people that I might not agree with that really comes from a lot of you know we're living in a really fearful time, and I want to have I want to act from a place of compassion to like respond to that that I'm seeing and. And people who I might think are, you know, hurting the world or hurting the environment, but mm-hmm. also, like, uh, taking accountability for the real actions that are hurting the environment, you know, and, like, yeah. not ignoring those, but trying to act from a place of compassion to how they're hurting as people, too. Mm-hmm. Great. And um, I just, yeah, I don't really know any direct action ways I can do that because it would be really nice to feel like, uh, you know, take some action, but yeah, I'm, I guess I'm still could do some more research. But yeah, basically mm-hmm. from that stance. Thanks. Well, I think anytime we start something new, so to speak, it can feel daunting, or we're not sure what the actions are. And yet, that's why we need each other to have these kind of conversations, and to stay with with the feelings that come up and um, learn from them. Yeah. So on the as I mentioned before, on the blog is going to be a. Uh, listing of the five gifts and then a little description of each of them and then uh, the link for Joanna's talk. So, um, well, this, this Gabe, I asked him where we could put something up. He said, send it to me and I'll put it up on the blog. So, I guess, Common Ground blog, yes. Okay. So, um, thank you all so much for coming and um, just a pleasure to... This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.